0: Welcome to The Corona Zone, a podcast for people stuck in quarantine and wondering what the hell is going on. I'm Kirsten, here with Gabby today, and we've got a lot to catch up on in week two, as lots has happened in the world since even just one week ago.
1: Yeah, we were getting ready to record this episode and can't quite believe how much things have moved on since last week. I mean, we were having to update the figures beforehand and yeah, it's quite shocking how much has happened.
0: Yeah, definitely. Global cases have almost tripled since last week. It's 600,000. And deaths are over 27,000. There have been just under 135,000 recovered. But again, we do know there'll be a lot more cases that just haven't been tested and confirmed. So the real number is probably much higher.
1: Yeah, I suppose there are upsides and downsides to that. Like, on On the plus side, that means that the death rates that we're seeing are likely artificially higher than they actually are compared to if you get the condition but on the downside it means that we don't have a very good grasp of how far this thing has spread right now
0: yeah that's true definitely and it's i suppose going to be interesting how we collect data after all of this um in terms of you know tracking symptoms and um antibody tests and things to see if we can then retrospectively work out how many cases there are you know in the world just now
1: Related to testing, um, one good thing we've seen is that the amount of tests done per day in the UK has gone up. It's still not as high as we would hope to see or that the government was saying they were going to try and achieve. There's obviously limits in the number that can be done. um, Resources are really short globally right now. But we hopefully are getting a better grasp of the spread. In the UK, the death toll is now up to 759 cases, just under 15,000. Considering you know this time last week, we were at around 3,000, we're really seeing that exponential curve happening um, in the increase.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think particularly, uh, particularly in London, around a third of the cases are there, um, and really large increases in deaths per day. Um, I think it's like a number of cases are doubling every three to four days, so it's quite scary.
1: Which is a bit faster, I think, than was predicted. I think one of the more recent statements by the government, they were predicting we'd see doubling maybe every five days. So Mm -hmm. I think it's quite worrying how quickly this is picking up the pace.
0: The Midlands as well seems to be a bit of a hotspot. So that's one to keep an eye on as well. I think there's quite an elderly population there.
1: It's interesting the differences in amounts of cases we're seeing across the country, you know, by area. Um, in Scotland, we definitely aren't seeing as much as England. I, I think if you compare cases per head, we're a bit behind, uh, we're especially behind London. Um, but so far, there have been 33 deaths in Scotland and 1059 cases. Um, I should say all these numbers are accurate as of around midday and 9am yesterday, depending on whether you're talking about the UK as a whole or Scotland. Um, But yeah, we're 1,059 cases in Scotland. A lot of those are still in Glasgow, but per head, it seems to be worst in Shetland right now. Um, I I think because they have a relatively small population, proportionally, it's affecting them more. So we're really seeing uh, the Scottish government ramping up preparations for dealing with a large jumping cases soon. And we'll just have to see how much of an effect all their preventative measures make in the end.
0: Yeah and of course the biggest measure that we've seen in the last week is the UK lockdown. That was announced on the 23rd but it feels like a lifetime ago. So we're allowed out for one exercise a day or you know going for shopping work if it's absolutely essential and police are now allowed to enforce these rules with fines and um even force if necessary. But it's interesting because we're already seeing as well the um massive queues outside of you know, supermarkets um, and people maintaining the kind of two meter distance part. Even Tesco had an advert about how to now conduct yourself around the shop and like cleaning down trolleys and all that kind of stuff. It, it made for kind of surreal viewing but I guess this is our lives now so
1: yeah I remember the first time I went into the Tesco nearest me and found a basket cleaning station and mm. you know my first thought was oh that's you know that's nice they thought to do that and they've you know provided the cleaning equipment to do it and then the second time I had to go and it's still there I'm like ah this is this is just how it's going to be for a while now you know being very cautious mm kind of being aware of who else is in the store and is anybody coughing and it's it's quite a weird way to now go about life.
0: Yeah definitely and I think the one good thing about how long it's taking to get into supermarkets is that it'll probably cut down the number of trips people make so you know you'll go do a big shop and then try and avoid it.
1: Yeah I suppose if it's actually a bit more of an unpleasant experience it will incentivize people to just go when they need to which is the advice right now but uh Maybe less of an excuse for a trip out of the house.
0: Yeah. My sister in Battersea collected shopping for one of her neighbors and had queued for ages to get in. And the one thing the lady wanted was eggs <laughs> and they didn't have. So Fiona was like, okay, well, I'll go and buy a lemon and like some other things just to make the trip worthwhile. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's been interesting to see what things have run out. I mean, um, I was thinking of trying to use some of the extra time at home to maybe do a bit of baking. I mean, it always takes my mind off of things. And it's just it's just something I've always enjoyed doing. But I have not been able to find self-rising flour for a very long time until um, I went out a couple of days ago. I think everybody was stocking up on flour as if they were going to be making everything from scratch for the next few months. Uh,
0: <laughs> or maybe just for the hobby <laughs> baking your life away.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's not that uncommon a hobby, probably just a lot of people with the same idea as me.
0: <laughs> but these measures are going to be in place for at least three weeks. I expect it'll probably be longer judging on how you know Italy and Spain uh, saw similar trends and these measures being extended.
1: I think the key comparison has tended to be Italy versus any other Western countries that are seeing the same rising cases. Um, I know we would, we previously spoke about us being about two weeks behind Italy. At the minute, it certainly seems that way. Um, Spain has kind of gone a similar way to Italy. With, there's been some really um, distressing videos from doctors in Spain talking about the struggle and um, uh, some, you know, some quite grim descriptions of dealing with a number of deaths. But uh, But hopefully, because we now have stricter measures in place, and it's, Enforced rules in the UK, rather than just a suggestion, as I think a lot of people were taking it at first. We can hopefully try and stop it getting to the same level of severity in the UK. It it really just comes down to people taking medical advice that they're given, rather than thinking that this is just a nice holiday for them.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of you know footage of drones chasing people around the Peak District and stuff. Like, you know, your one exercise a day should be from your home, not taking unnecessary trips and you know going out to the highlands or the lake district or what have you yeah Um, I
1: I saw about that I I think some people I don't think it's that people are wanting to disobey the rules or that kind of thing like I I was reading the Twitter replies when I think it was like Derbyshire police or something posted it and um, there were a lot of people saying I don't see the problem here. They're getting their exercise away from crowded areas. They're not, uh, you know, they're they're not going to be spreading. This is social distancing. And I understand that. And there is also the viewpoint that, you know, it's good for your mental health to get out. you know, if you're, if you're just having to stay in the, in your home for a long time, it is good to get out of, out of your house. However, as a a few people also pointed out, um, unfortunately they didn't seem to be the majority, but, they were pointing out that yeah it's it's this unnecessary trip that can cause a problem sure the chance of them getting in an accident or somebody getting injured or something is low but if they do require medical assistance that's just taking resources away from people that need it and yeah this this kind of thing is also you know questionably okay only if a few people decide to go against the rules and do it if everybody suddenly thinks this is okay you just have the same situation. You have a crowded peak district with people getting into accidents and people not following the rules. Um, so it, it just causes its own problems, even though it doesn't seem that way at first.
0: And again, is the idea that a lot of people, you know, go to the same places like Connick Hill um, at Balmaha. Uh, you know, on a normal weekend, that is really busy anyway. But if everyone is self-isolating and chooses to go there, then yeah, it's going to be packed. So I think that's something to mediate there as well.
1: Yeah, that happened last weekend after we recorded, I think, um, might have been Snowden recorded their busiest weekend in almost living memory, I think, because everybody was suddenly thinking, we better go out and do something nice because the weather's good and we might be stuck inside. And all that ended up happening was very crowded areas full of people probably with a few needing help because inevitably if you're hill walking somebody's going to trip at some point it just looks like the message didn't quite get through there yeah but I think
0: that's okay like people are learning what can be done and what can't be done and I suppose giving that context will probably help people understand a bit
1: more so this is the first week as well we've started seeing uh people in the public eye starting to get coronavirus. And I mean, in the public eye is a bit of an understatement. Um, we have the Prime Minister now positive for coronavirus. Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, uh, the Chief Medical Officer has also been presumed to be positive. Um, and Prince Charles himself is currently self isolating and Balmoral um, having tested positive.
0: Although Camilla didn't. And one of my friends was quick to say, they obviously don't share a bedroom. <laughs> but I mean, that's the uh, conjecture
1: it certainly is a very contagious disease
0: um yeah because about what six of his staff had it as well so um why was camilla not infected (laughs) no i'm I'm
2: joking
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing uh, that Boris Johnson is certainly having to be careful of is that his fiancée, Carrie Simmons, is currently pregnant. So uh, I think he's self-isolating away from them. They haven't been living together recently, maybe because he was aware there was a good chance he'd catch it with all the you know, meeting people and travel that you have to do as prime minister. Um, so mm-hmm. hopefully um, she's not at risk. But yeah, it, it certainly goes to show it can affect anyone right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. I totally forgotten actually that um, his partner was pregnant.
1: Yeah, I think any uh any other news seems to have just been swept under the rug recently.
0: A lot of people as well have been saying, "Oh, why did Boris get tested? If he's only got mild symptoms, and a lot of NHS frontline staff aren't." And I don't think that's a totally fair comparison. Like, I suppose it is in the public interest to know if the Prime Minister has it. But I can see why people are also a bit frustrated by that. You know, there's a limit on the tests that we have. um, And, you know, should he be placed as any more important than them?
1: Yeah, it's a really difficult uh, problem to address because I'm sure if we had the facilities to do more tests right now, we would be doing them. It it just makes sense to. And I think the government now are more on the side of testing people as much as possible. Um, But yeah, the the issue with NHS staff being test or not being tested, I should say, um, definitely has been an issue. It does look like that's changing though. I think um, in the last day or so, they've announced that they are going to start testing frontline NHS staff um, starting mm-hmm. in the next few days.
0: Yeah, and the system in Aberdeen is quite good actually. They sent a letter out yesterday to say that any NHS staff or anyone in their household who has symptoms will then mean that the whole household get tested oh, that's so that's great. a really good um you know improvement but I think we just have the capacity here because it's not as populous
1: mm, that, that's true I suppose a lot of the issue does come down to how many people you're having to deal with at once I mean it, it's kind of um it's similar to when we were talking about people traveling up north to the highlands and the issue with um The lack of ICU beds, if anybody does need medical help there, you you kind of, a lot of it comes down to the local population and what facilities are there for people. Um, Unfortunately, that's going to have a big effect on the help people have access to. Crossing the pond to the US, uh, they have been in the news quite a lot to do with how the COVID 19 issue has been um, developing there. In the past, a lot of people were calling out for more testing because I think there were quite a lot of anecdotal accounts of um, people thinking that they might have had coronavirus but not having any way of knowing um, and trying to access tests but really struggling. It looks like in the last few days the access to tests has gone up quite a lot because on a couple of different days in the last week the number of cases went up by a few thousand all of a sudden to the point where now and I don't just mean two or three thousand I mean thousands to the point where the U.S. now has the most registered cases in the world, overtaking China, overtaking Italy. Um, it's now over 100,000. That is expected mm. still to be much higher than that. It's it's affecting the whole country. Um, a lot of people are losing their jobs or are, are in a real position of job insecurity to the point where they had a huge amount of people apply for unemployment benefits recently. I think it was around 3 million people, um, which yeah. was, I think, the peak during the two 2000- thousand. 2008-2009 recession was about half a million on any one day. Hopefully, this is a much shorter term issue. However, I think that really speaks to the scale of what's going on there.
0: Yeah, New York is one of the epicenters in the US. And they've been asking for, you know, thirty to 40,000 vent- ventilators. Um, and they currently only have about 3,000. And the weird thing is that Trump is saying they don't really need that. And that is just based on, you know, his own opinion and like trying to spin this into a good story or at least not as bad a story as it really is. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. And I really hope that they do manage to get that capacity up.
1: It's been quite worrying to see the effect that Trump has had on the public response to the issue as well. Um, He's been talking a lot about the potential for a couple of different anti-malarial drugs as either preventative measures or, or as a treatment for COVID-19. And I think there have been a lot of reports of people going out and trying to get it from their GPs and, uh, you know, trying to buy up the prescriptions. Before this has even been properly tested, I mean, I think there were reports that it's a potential um, it's a potential treatment where you can repurpose an currently existing, you know, reliable medication. But mm-hmm. it has not been tested for this at all. And I, I think there were a couple that... Um, you know, both ended up in hospital and one sadly passed away from having taken it. Um, And on the larger scale, there are a lot of people that have to take these medications just to, you know, to get by in average life. And they're now struggling to find it because people are listening to Donald Trump talk about this new miracle medicine and buying it up. And now the people that need it can't access it.
0: Um, Definitely. It's quite scary as well. Like these are drugs that you don't just dabble with. They're anti-malarials. They have quite a you know, profound effect on your body. You know, you don't want to take them if you don't need to. I think they're also used in a few autoimmune conditions, but yeah, definitely, you know, they have quite bad side effects, quite high risk. So, you know, just taking it because Trump said, oh, it might work, is really not a good idea. Um, And it's not helpful to have your leader spouting out a lot of crap, (laughs) to be honest.
1: Yeah, uh, the last thing we need right now is people making miracle cure claims when we haven't got the evidence for that yet.
0: Yeah, and on a similar note, actually, there's been a lot of, you know, targeted adverts and things on Facebook popping up saying that they have these testing kits that you can buy online, but a lot of them seem quite dodgy, actually. Um, My friend kind of looked one up and, you know, found the company had, like, no real registered address and they're just selling it to obviously make a profit it's probably not at all you know rigorous or accurate but if someone buys it tests it and they think they're positive that could be you know more of a strain on the NHS Um, or if they test it and it says they're negative falsely then they could be you know acting a bit carelessly so it's a scary one
1: yeah, I, I guess the worst scenario there is somebody has symptoms, does one of these dodgy tests, comes back negative, and they think, oh, great, I must just have a cold. I can go about my life as normal. And um, as we've seen from, uh, you know, modelling of how many people each person can then go on to infect, uh, that's quite worrying to think about how many people might end up doing that because of these unreliable, uh, unregulated tests.
0: Yeah, My advice there would just be don't buy a test, save your money. When a good, accurate test is available, the government, the NHS will let you know. So I think that's the best thing to do.
1: Speaking of uh, testing, one of the interesting things that the Scottish government have talked about trying to do is having a look at different variations of the uh, COVID-19 virus going around the UK. Um, I, I know there have been some analyses looking at uh, how it's mutated as it's travelled out of China and around the rest of the world. But I think they're they're trying to understand, in Scotland at least, if people are largely suffering from the same kind of, you know, the original type of COVID-19, or if other strains have been brought in from abroad. Um, I, I think it's in efforts to try and see, uh, you know, how, how successful treatment, measures might be and um if they're trying to contain it you know they can get an idea of how it's spreading and definitely if this gets rolled out across the uk it'll be really interesting to see what has been happening when um the rest of testing has been lacking
0: and it'll be really interesting from like uh, an epidemiology angle as well you know just tracking the way it's been spreading um that'll be really valuable information um if we ever have any other, you know, disease outbreaks in the future and also working out what measures work and what ones maybe are less effective.
1: Yeah, I I think it will also be interesting to see if you can do these retrospective tests as well um, to see how far it actually did spread. Um, One of the things that I think we haven't been hearing much from the UK government is a more accurate idea of maybe how many people are carrying it. We've largely just been hearing the official count of people with symptoms bad enough, they've probably ended up in hospital. Um, But there was a statement earlier this week in in one of the um, daily press briefings with the Scottish government, where they actually said that they think for each intensive care patient they have, uh, they believe that each one of those will represent four and a half thousand individuals that are carrying the virus right now. So going by the most recent reports of how many ICU patients there are in Scotland, it's likely that the number of people carrying the virus right now and probably largely unaware is nearer the hundreds of thousands rather than the uh, 1,000 or so positive cases we've had so far.
0: Wow, yeah, that's, you know, quite a lot.
1: I think it would be really useful to have a more, um, I think it would be really useful to have a public accurate approximation, I think, because some of the issue has been if you look at the number of confirmed cases by population, uh, it can seem like you can probably go around pretty normally. Um, You know, take Glasgow for an example, we've got a few hundred confirmed cases, but within the greater Glasgow and Clyde area, that's over a million people. So I can see why some people might look at the number and think, oh, you know, chances are I probably won't come across one of those people, it's probably fine you know i i won't change my behavior too much cuz i don't think there's that much chance of me catching it but i think if you actually put out you know that this number is subject to change or this might not be totally accurate but we think that this many people might currently be carrying it i i think that would help kind of cement in people's minds how quickly this is spreading everywhere and you know there there is a good chance that you can catch it if you're going out unnecessarily
0: yeah that's really true actually Another thing that we've seen uh, across the world actually is that men seem to be dying more than women. And this is, you know, first in China, they thought that possibly it was due to smoking because there's quite a bit of culture of smoking in men compared to women there. But then we're seeing this in Italy, Spain, the UK as well. Um, So that's something that I guess, you know, I guess we don't know a lot about the disease yet uh it could be you know an interaction with hormones or immune regulation um a lot of immune genes are in the x chromosome so you know maybe there's something there but i guess that's just something that hopefully we'll get more information about in the coming weeks and so
1: it has been difficult to try and work out how coronavirus affects different people because you have different populations per country uh like Italy, a lot of the discussion has been about the fact they have a relatively older population, um, especially compared to South Korea that are relatively young. But you know, people have been trying to look at South Korea as a model to look at how it's affecting different demographics. But because they have been testing so much, but you can't directly do that. But you know, because like you said, there there are different types of people in each country um, when you break it down by each demographic. So if it is potentially true that. Men are more severely affected. It's probably going to take us a while to really, you know, nail that down as something that we're sure of.
0: And also, I think in the UK there was slightly more cases in uh, Jewish communities, but it's hard to know at the moment. I mean, it seems most likely that at this stage in the epidemic here, that possibly these people were just, you know, first affected and interacting with each other. And that'll probably even out as cases increase in number.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess it just goes back to that retrospective testing again. It's luckily there are a lot of scientists working around the world to try and understand how this virus works and how it affects people, and uh, you know what measures do need to be taken. But it's just going to be hard to know until we have more data. Unfortunately.
0: Um, so as well as understanding the virus and how it's been spreading. There's been a lot of efforts towards, you know, treatment. Ventilators are in quite high demand, of course, and there have been a lot of kind of different efforts across the world to try and uh, increase production of these. In the UK, they made calls for lots of different companies to have a go at making ventilators. They've called it the Ventilator Challenge. It's a bit of an odd one. You would have thought that maybe... Uh, companies that already make them scaling up would be the most effective thing but i know dyson are trying to throw their hat in the ring and it's yet to be medically certified so i mean i think it's a nice idea to have lots of people innovating but i don't know it seems like there could be conflicts there
1: yeah and i think people have also been worried about um politics coming into play um the eu has been taking part in this huge joint effort to try and requisition as many ventilators as they can um, or source them from as many different places Um, and from what I understand the UK government hasn't been taking part in that they've made a couple of different claims as to why they haven't been I believe at first that they missed a deadline or didn't receive an email because of an administrative error so Hmm. I see it doesn't seem um very likely to me that the UK government would miss an email about getting ventilators so I'm not really sure what's going on there but understandably a lot of people are getting quite frustrated because um as people have been describe it sorry because people have been describing this as what they see as Brexit before breathing um and hopefully that's not the case uh you would think that the choices that the government were making right now would be aimed towards what they thought would help people most. But it's certainly hard to see why they wouldn't have taken part in a scheme like this otherwise.
0: Yeah, it's a bit concerning. It's easy to be cynical about that. Um, But I guess we'll see. Hopefully they will, you know, make an effort to take part in that. But if all of this is, you know, getting you down and it's a bit doom and gloom, you could try checking out the BBC's positive coronavirus news page. You know, they're reporting all the nice stories of people helping out neighbours or, you know, the clap for the NHS and putting a spotlight on that. So although a lot of this is quite stressful and serious, there's there's some nice things coming out too.
1: Yeah, I think we definitely need a bit of positive news right now. Um, it's tricky trying to find a balance between expressing how difficult this has been for a lot of people and also trying to keep you know a bit more of a positive mindset because this is going to go on for the foreseeable future at least speaking of the the clapping I mean it was it was lovely seeing people online posting videos of everybody clapping everywhere I mean uh, I I knew it was going to happen but I, I lost track of time here and I realized it was eight o'clock because I suddenly heard clapping and people bashing pans and uh I think there was like a foghorn from a ship somewhere going off as well. Oh wow. Um, and it, it was it was lovely, you know, people flashing the lights on and off. And uh later that evening my sister who's uh, she's a nurse posted a video saying that this was the loveliest thing to finish a shift off to find.
0: We are in quite a small village, so I didn't really hear anyone else doing it, but we were watching the news at the time. I just clapped at my mum. So (laughs) I hope she appreciated. (laughs) Another person we're following is uh, Mona Chalabi. She's a data journalist on Instagram and Twitter. I think she's worked for The Guardian and lots of other places too. But she does these really beautiful infographics and has been doing a lot about Corona as well the last few weeks. So definitely check her out um, if you want to keep up to date but by looking at beautiful pictures. (laughs) (coughs) We're chatting today with Sam Langford. He's a SciCommer from Glasgow and he works at the Science Centre as well. He's doing a lot of cool stuff with SciCom remotely at the moment, so we got him in to chat about that. But Sam, could you let us know why you were interested in uh, coming onto the podcast?
2: Yeah, so I, I think it's really important that when we're all stuck at home at the moment that we still try to maintain links whether that like like digital links whether that is networking with people whether it is doing versions of science communication that we would normally do face-to-face but bringing them online or um talking a little bit more about what's actually going on in the world as well because I think that as as you mentioned on your previous episode that there's a huge amount of misinformation out there and so if I can help to not not debunk any myths because i'm not an expert in any any matter at all but even point to the people that might be able to help with those things as well because that's something that i think i can do it's it's just nice to be here and have a chat
0: yeah it's nice to have you here as well well remotely here
1: yeah that was a a big part of the reason why we wanted to start this podcast you know like i I think we were both getting quite frustrated seeing a lot of the stuff that was getting put out it's just like an overwhelming amount of information coming from lots of different sources and uh Sometimes it's you know it seems like it might be a bit more helpful just to kind of sit and talk about uh, you know how it's affecting people day to day or um, you know some of the issues with some of that information coming out or what people are doing with it. It's great that you're here, so we can you know get a different perspective on that from someone else in Glasgow, and you know we can chat about how it's affecting you day to day or you know what kind of things you're doing to cope.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's still something that's a massive learning curve about how we work from home. I know that yourselves, you're, you're both used to it with PhD right up to the moment, but it's something I'm having to get very quickly used to, even finding a space in the house that works for me, because I'm obviously not here alone, so I've got my partner here, I've got the dog, and trying to find somewhere to kind of escape to with those less distractions, but also in a small flat, It's yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I've had that as well this week. I've just moved back up to Aberdeen to my parents and I had to set up a desktop computer on our dining room table, so it's a bit of a cramp.
1: Yourself, Sam, a lot of the stuff you do is very public-facing, so it must be quite jarring to go from a lot of social contact to you know almost none.
2: Yeah, literally the day that we shut um, was the day after... The, the big event that I organise at the Science Centre of Curiosity Live, which is where I was like daily having interactions with 50 different academics and researchers, bringing them in, but also those hundreds and hundreds of people that come through the doors every day, um, to then go to, yeah, we're not going to see each other for quite a long time now. Um, and then some colleagues just weren't there because they then had to work from home. And, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a huge... A huge jump to have to have that totally different way of existing.
1: And how has it
0: impacted your actual work? Because um, I know you do quite a lot of projects that are quite you know, public-facing and things. So have you kind of suspended work on things like that? Or are you developing things for future, um, like the Global Science Show and stuff?
2: At the moment, we're still trying to work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, we're all having to make this change at the same time. I don't I don't know where it's all going to go. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity. Um there's a lot of time that we have that we wouldn't normally have had for other things. Um so that that in itself is a bit of a blessing. It means that we can spend some time on projects that otherwise you struggle to get to. But again, we're we're such a busy organisation with so many different things going on that we're not going to be stuck for jobs and then the other things at like the global science show I'm obviously doing that in my own time yeah um, and that's just to keep myself sane <laughs> if nothing else I've got something to do before all this kicked off I tend to have things on all the time and um, like events to go to and uh, things that I'm doing in my own time and that's just gone Yeah. Um, so to try and keep events going but also to still have a little bit of science out there and just put a a smile on people's faces, um, and to kind of get them to think that well, everything, everything's tough, but everything's going to be okay, and try and keep a level of normality.
0: The global science show is going to be tomorrow, the twenty seventh of March. This episode will go out on Monday. So, will people be able to find any of it online after the fact?
2: So, it should all be stored under the hashtag #ScienceFromHome. Um, so, you should be able to go and find it all on Twitter. Do that. Um, And that will just be individual people have posted. I'm hoping that I can maybe try and string everything together so it's just in one Mm -hmm. big long thread. I have no idea how it's all going to go tomorrow. Uh I'm sure there'll be some issues along the way, but hopefully it's in one nice tidy place that everybody can go and just look at things afterwards and if it goes really well we'll do it again.
1: Yeah I was about to ask do you think if it's a success it's something that you'd like to get going again in the future I mean it's, it's looking like all the social distancing measures might be around for a while even if the total lockdown comes to an end.
2: Yeah I'm hoping so I'm hoping that we can maybe do it once a month and there's a couple of different initiatives like that that have already popped up that look as though that they've, they've worked quite well and people want to try and do them again so other or Jamie Gallagher has started doing virtual Psycom socials via Zoom, which it went really well last week. I didn't make it but uh, everybody who, who made it along said it was really good. So now they're making a series of things where people can sign on to Zoom, meet other science communicators around the UK and there'll be kind of themes each week. And, and it just allows people to kind of keep on their game about uh, science communications so that's no, really good
0: it's a nice way to keep in touch with people as well when we're all a bit more isolated
2: yeah absolutely it's it's important that we do that because it's going to be so weird going back into the real the real world again after all of this i think it's going to be quite a lot of adjustment
1: yeah and that that is one of the things that we um you know we're interested to hear about how people are adjusting to such a big change and the prospect of things going Back to you know at least somewhat normal afterwards. How how have you been coping with you know personally other than work with um such a big change to lifestyle? You know, n- knowing you're only supposed to go outside once a day and there's people you know can't see. And how have you been dealing with um such a big change yourself?
2: Um, so so far all right. Like comes in waves. You know, like last night I had like like a big washover of a, a anxiety, which had managed to push away for a couple of days. Um. But these things will just they will just keep happening. There'll be good days, there'll be bad days. Um, mm-hmm. But I think as we get into more routinely knowing how your home life works, because I think that's that's for me anyway the big way that it's changed is not having that routine, but having things like having having a dog. You need to mm-hmm. get up, you need to take the dog out, um, and that that adds a little bit of routine into it. Work is a little bit. Hard to fit into that kind of way of thinking yet, but it'll get there. Um, but luckily, I've got quite a few things in the house to keep me keep me going. A lot of Lego, a lot of books to read.
0: Do you have any, um, you know, like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings Legos, or just like making stuff from scratch?
2: Oh, no, I don't make stuff from scratch. I'm not creative enough for that. It's all, <laughs> it's all pre-done stuff. It's me- mostly Star Wars stuff.
1: One thing I've been enjoying is um, seeing people rediscover puzzles. Um, I have never seen so many people posting that they've been doing puzzles at home and suddenly really enjoying them.
0: I've weirdly gotten to Scrabble, Um, like Scrabble Go, like an app. I constantly play it and I don't even enjoy it. Um, But I was talking to my little sister the other day and said the word angsty and I was like, oh, good word.
1: Remember that for Scrabble? (laughs)
2: For me, it's been uh, Animal Crossing.
1: Oh, really. yes. I'm resisting getting that because I know that'll be a trap.
2: Oh, no, you need to do it. <laughs> you really need to do it. <laughs> but there's been a lot of really good like digital content being put out based on that. So do either of you follow the Merle on uh, Twitter, like, the Museum of English Rural Life? No. So they are. they have the best social media team of any museum in the world. Um, they were the ones who started the Absolute Unit um, <laughs> meme,
0: um, oh. and they,
2: they posted a thing yesterday where they had a challenge for people who had Animal Crossing to go into the game and to design a smock that was based on something from their museum oh, collections,
0: wow.
2: um, which was just a really nice way of getting people to engage with their collections but using something that was really relevant in everybody's lives at the moment. So um, <laughs> yeah. go check them out. Like, they are fantastic and definitely one of the best social media teams in the, in the museum world.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Uh, how is preparation for the Global Science Show going?
2: Yeah, really good. Um, so there's like, almost 100 uh, different accounts, scientists and or groups of scientists who are going to be involved Um And it's going to be starting in Sydney, in Australia, and then working its way west. Um, And then we'll end nine hours after it begins um, in LA, in California. Um, So we're covering uh, five out of six continents. Um, So only South America and, obviously, Antarctica not involved. (laughs) Um, So Huge numbers of people, which is awesome. Um, And I put out a a tweet about an hour ago from... uh, Yeah, about an hour ago now... um, which has been retweeted with the likes of like Robin Ince and uh, Faisal Islam, uh, Alice Roberts. So they really big names in science communication, which is just really exciting. Um, and the, lots of people really seem to be taken by that idea. I really like the whole idea of like science from home and like the museum from home. Social mm-hmm. um, media feeds that have been just allowing people to showcase what they do regularly, but bring it to massive audiences very quickly
1: what kind of people do you think would benefit from having a look at the global science show as everything is going out i mean is is the intended audience you know people like you and me or is it um, aimed more at younger people you know what what kind of people are you hoping to engage with
2: so there's there's a whole broad range of different things people are, are going to post about so there's there's some people are going to post quite in-depth things about the work that they do which might be more relevant for a an already interested audience of adults. Um, but then we've got uh, some sci from uh, down south who are going to be talking about uh, some experiments you can do at home, which is good for anybody, but particularly for the, those young kids that are going to be looking for things at home. So um, there's also going to be someone who's going to be talking about the the psychology of swearing. Um, so there's a whole broad range of different things. I didn't want to I didn't want to rein it in too much because I just wanted to allow people to be creative and put out as many things as they wanted. So I think there'll be something for everybody, but not everything will be for everyone.
1: Uh
0: no, no that's great and good that people can, you know, engage, um, pick up things that they're interested in and not necessarily watch all of it. So that's good too. Um and really global, living up to its name. So
2: Yeah, I'm really I'm really chuffed with how how many people from such far far away parts of the world to me are keen to take part. It's really, really really nice to see that we're all all in the same boat but all kind of pitching into the one idea. It's just really nice.
1: I'm really getting the sense that a lot of people have just moved online and they're trying to do everything they can to stay in touch with people that way now.
2: I do worry that because everybody's trying to do it, um, whether everything just gets lost. Mm. And they trying to make sure that what people put out is actually good. But <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. sometimes that is like a big problem with the internet. But everything I've seen so far has been really well thought out. Um, Great. Or even seeing things like Joe Wicks doing PE for kids, yeah, you
1: know
2: I mean? uh uh-huh. um, really, really nice. Jamie Oliver has been doing like cooking classes for kids at midday, which is really nice. And then obviously with the science centre, we've been doing uh, ten minutes of science at ten AM every day, which is just helping, helping provide a wee bit of structure for people. Even just that wee bit of entertainment, so people rating reality shows, that's great because people we know that people want to watch that, and it's like Gogglebox, but online
1: on the theme of lots of people getting involved um i mean again kirsten and i are from very similar situations um and as research students you're really encouraged to try and get involved with some science communication or public engagement work uh so for anybody listening that maybe wants to get into that kind of work but obviously might have a little bit of an issue trying to get some experience with this situation right now do you have any advice for something that people could do to try and you know get involved themselves or you know maybe things to be wary of or something you'd encourage them to do?
2: Whether it's online, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's like written, anything like that, the the one thing that I would always kind of recommend to people is why are you doing it? Figure out the why and figure out who do you want to engage with because if you don't know those things then you're going to hit a brick wall quite quickly. The things that you need to figure out is who are your audience and really distill that down. Um, there is no such thing as the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, So just making sure that if you want to do something from home, you do want to do some science communication or other types of public engagement, that you know why you're doing it. um, And therefore, you know what's the best method to do, to do that digital engagement because not everything's going to work for everybody. That would that would be my kind of main starting points.
1: Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, thanks. So, one of the things that uh, you mentioned yourself before we started recording, and that we talked about in the first episode, was some of the issue with misinformation being put out. Um, and uh, it, it's something that I think we're going to talk about in the rest of the episode. Some things like gargling salt water will stop you getting coronavirus, or uh, you know, um, questionable methods of making hand sanitizer at home um that you know maybe aren't effective or at worst aren't safe what kind of things have you noticed popping up that are you know concerning in that way
2: for me i think the biggest one is that it's only a risk really for the elderly or the immunocompromised which is just not true Mm -hmm. yeah Um, like because that's been that's been based on modeling from from like wuhan and we don't know that that's the case for everywhere. And actually we're seeing quite a lot of younger people who are fairly healthy um, getting really quite ill who normally would be fine from like the regular flu season. Um, so, Because it's, it's not the same. It's not the same illness and therefore we can't treat it that way. So just for people who are, are our age, who are... Um, what we would deem to be healthy to just understand that actually you are just as much at risk um, and therefore to keep taking those precautions um, like listen to the government advice I know it might not have been the greatest advice up until the past couple of days Yeah, but we should be staying at home we should be trying to minimise distance between groups it's, um, we should all be listening and taking it seriously because it's probably the most critical time that any of us have ever lived through um and it, for me it feels like our version of world war ii
1: yeah i keep hearing this situation described as like a war zone by a lot of people um, especially medical professionals um there's a junior doctor i watch on youtube sometimes called i think he's called dr hope um and he started a vlogging series about dealing with coronavirus and um he's only five or six episodes in there can't kind of they're coming out maybe every day or so and at first he was you know pretty open about saying we're not really seeing anything yet we're doing a lot of preparation feels like a calm before the storm moment and then suddenly in the last couple of episodes uh the, the number of patients they're dealing with uh the, the, the one he published this morning i think he'd done a night shift he was talking about younger patients that uh, it was Quite distressing to see younger people coming in when people have this idea that they'll be all right what worries me is the speed at which this is becoming more and more serious i think
0: i find as well i like i don't like the attitude of oh it probably won't affect me so i'm fine like you don't know who you could spread it to and and you don't know like who you're in touch with that might then be in touch with a vulnerable person But then also, I do think it is the kind of arrogance of thinking, well, I'm young and healthy, so I'll probably be fine. And we just don't know enough about it yet to, you know, make that assertion.
2: Yeah. When we've, like, I don't know if you watched the the Scottish Government's announcement today, Mm -hmm. when they were Mm -hmm. talking about how things have changed, that um, there was an increase of positive cases by 175. um, which is a huge growth from one day to the next. Yeah. And that's only the people that have tested positive. Um and like the chief medical officer saying that we're expecting that maybe between forty to fifty thousand people have already got it. Um but most of them aren't displaying symptoms, but they're probably going to infect other people or are getting those mild symptoms, or are the healthy people who will actually get really sick. Um and even even seeing like Have you seen the news about the XL Centre in London? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just
1: Nightingale, right?
2: Yes, that's the one, yeah, being converted into an emergency hospital, Um, which is just, that kind of tells you the scale of how bad this is.
0: Yeah. My mum was getting annoyed at the news the other day because they keep saying the word unprecedented, but like that's the best way to describe it. It really is so, you know, different to anything we've known before.
2: Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just a it's just a very odd, very scary time. But I think that there's there's a lot of positives that are being shown from it in the way that kind of communities are ra- rallying together, which is really nice. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it was really lovely to see how quickly people have volunteered to help the NHS. Um, I don't know exactly how it's working in Scotland because I think it's technically an NHS England scheme but um, initially I think they were asking for a quarter of a million volunteers, which at the time sounded like such a, you know, a huge amount. And um, you know, I, I was a bit worried that maybe they wouldn't be able to reach that, but I think it's actually double that now, um, or they're aiming for you know, 750,000 people now because the response has just been great. You know, people that are able to go out and help their communities are signing up, signing up uh, en masse
0: yeah that is really good but then there is the problem of ppe and things so if you're going between vulnerable people you need to be you know sure that you're not spreading things too so there's logistical things but it's really good to see the like community spirit aspect of it
2: yeah absolutely i think that and i i would agree with what you're saying kirsten about the ppe aspect of it because that's just not being talked about enough mm. and uh but Scotland, I, I think I saw in the news as well, that uh, there's 1.8 million masks which were out of date, which are now being brought back into use. Mm. Um, they've been tested, and apparently they're fighting. But just the fact that we're, we're having to do that, and ha- if we're having to do that, how are we going to make sure that all these volunteers are safe? Um, yeah. It's really good to see, but it's all developing very fast, and I'd like to know that they're actually going to keep people safe.
1: Yeah, I, I think as well the the PPE aspect kind of ties in with the misinformation worry because I think quite early on we started to see people buying up surgical masks and N95 and masks or uh, you know, mostly people trying to protect themselves. But partly that has contributed towards this huge shortage we're now seeing. But also a lot of that is without people realising that it's just not going to be effective. Um, You know, you saw people talking about needing to wear masks and, you know, trying to find where they could buy them. And I mean, even, you know, places like B&Q and stuff are sold out of dust masks. And that just tells you how little information is actually out there about how effective that kind of equipment is. And in the case that somebody does buy uh, personal protective equipment that is effective, they are maybe then taking that away from people that need it more. I certainly have seen people talking about how masks are most effective if you yourself are infected, and not necessarily is it going to stop you getting ill. Um, but definitely, I if I ever see an average person walking about in uh, you know a fully kitted out with an N95 mask or something, I do kind of think, did you did you really need that? You know, was surely there was somebody else that needed that more than you right now.
0: There's reason as well to think that wearing masks is actually putting you more at risk in a way because people are more likely to, you know, take riskier behaviours if they think they're protected, but they're absolutely not. Mm, Um, And there's also the problem that bacteria, viruses, germs and things can sit on the mask and viruses are small enough to go through the fibres of the mask. So if you're breathing in through that, then you're, you know, still... the same kind of level of well you're still at a high level of risk from that so it's actually not protective at all and maybe even dangerous so also actually on the PPE thing for NHS workers my mum was working in the ward yesterday a stroke unit and they have no PPE because it's not specifically COVID but then you know a patient in one of the wards started coughing and was instantly moved to the COVID ward but the five other patients in that room could be exposed, um, and the mm. you know the staff working there could be exposed as well. So it's a difficult one, certainly.
1: Uh, I was I was going to ask: uh, Is there anything that you think people should keep in mind when they see advice from people online? You know, not necessarily coming from experts, but uh, friends and family that are reposting things and retweeting. Um, is there any advice you have for maybe trying to? Uh, trying to identify some of that misinformation before people actually take the advice
2: yeah just double check it Um, if it's not coming from either government or from a health service then probably take it with a pinch of salt Um, because the the internet is full of misinformation so don't believe something you've read for the first time and that goes for everything that goes Mm -hmm. for absolutely everything whether it's um, coronavirus or
0: anything else yeah another thing i'd add to that is anything that you see that invokes an emotional reaction is something to question a bit more critically because quite often that's what misinformation trades on um you know if you're riled up by it you're more likely to not think share it and then you know maybe think about it later um so yeah definitely check your reaction to it before you consider it as evidence
2: yeah i um i watched a conversation on a facebook group that i'm part of which is a public engagement facebook group where someone brought up the wh- whether we should be having the discussion about where this virus came from and whether that will lead to different practices in the way that cultures operate which very much seemed like it was a there was racist undertones to it all, and mm. because um, it was the individual was alluding to wet markets, um, in in China, even though we don't fundamentally know where this came from or whether it had any link to that, yeah, um, and to see that within like people talking about engagement with COVID nineteen was a little, a little sad and a little bit, nah, I don't like that, um, and then again there was another one today from um, another fairly prominent podcast um, who wanted to talk about how COVID-19 was uh, a result of overpopulation, which was just like moving into kind of eco-fascist territory, uh, blaming blaming countries that have booming populations on things like this happening. So there's a lot of that going on as well. So people, like you said, they can be quite emotional topics and people yeah. can point on things quite quickly. But I know my, my mum would quite quickly jump on something like that. Um, but just I always make sure to get her to take a step back and to think it through and to say, do, is that actually the truth or the right viewpoint to be taken? So no, I completely agree with you on the emotional point. Yeah, yeah. There, there
1: is the worry that a situation like this can unfortunately enable... Inherent biases that people might have, or you know that kind of discriminatory assumption, uh, you know about differences in cultures, or I mean, you know the the examples that you gave about there being certain undertones about you know what what the actual meaning of the conversation was. I've definitely seen examples where there are no undertones; it's very apparent yeah. what people think, um, and I, I think that's a real shame to see. Um, it's it's a problem that everybody's having to deal with. Is you know it's just it happened to be found in China initially, but everybody's having to deal with this problem now. Everybody's having to adjust their behaviour. Um, so posting things to do with you know that are frankly racist, I, I just don't think it's anybody anywhere useful right now.
0: I hate to bring him up, but Trump, of course, uh, is insistent on continuing to say. The China virus, which is just ridiculous.
2: Yeah, I I'm just trying to just ignore the existence of the man, <laughs> um, which I know is really hard because he's everywhere on the news. Um, but yeah, it's it's really sad, and to see the the quite clear up rising in um, racist attacks or comments against, this, uh, particularly Asian American. Um societies that are really being impacted by that um, even though like cause I think the the White House even put out a a formal thing about it, saying that it, we we called the Spanish flu the Spanish flu, so why is it bad to call it the Chinese virus <sighs> even though the Spanish flu started in the United States mm-hmm. yeah, the um,
1: Spanish flu was only called the Spanish flu because they were one of the only places being. Public about it. Everyone else was keeping their mouth shut because it was a sign of weakness during the war. That's the only reason. Um, Yeah, it didn't start in Spain. So, you know, I it's frustrating when the renaming from calling it the novel Wuhan coronavirus, uh, renaming that to COVID nineteen specifically to try and prevent this and also you know just for accuracy's sake, people continue. To, to see people continue to flaunt that, and um, yeah, the the leader of the free world, if you want to call him that, uh, c- continuing to call it the Chinese virus is is just incredibly frustrating.
2: Yeah, just conversely, when you see people like like Trump, who are not helping at all, and then you flip it on his head to someone like personally, I really like Nicola Sturgeon and the way that she has come across mm-hmm. in all of this. Um, but particularly, I've really enjoyed Jacinda Ardern, yeah, um, who from New Zealand, like just the way that she has made everybody feel like they're all in it together, and they're taking huge precautions, and they're making sure that everyone's involved. I've always really enjoyed like how she leads New Zealand, and I think that this is an example of how exactly to lead a country in a big crisis. So. Um, it's nice to see that the the women in charge are actually being really good
1: <laughs> yeah that um, is nice to see <laughs>
2: <laughs> um but rather than having to listen to donald trump and boris johnson
1: one of my favorite moments uh from all of the announcements so far was i think it was about a week ago or so now um it was in the scottish government with uh nicola sturgeon stating that now is not the time to be political that we all needed to face this problem together and um Another member from the Tory party standing up and agreeing that that should not be the focus of everybody's attention right now. And I, I just thought that that was great. You know, when you, especially, um, we're really not that far past Brexit and the election. And I, I think, you know, despite the fact that some people definitely need to refocus their attention, um, it's great to see some of these key figures coming out and, you know, pointing out that this is the most important thing we need to deal with, that we need to come together to deal with it. Everything else kind of needs to step to the side for now.
0: Yeah, it was disturbing but nice to see Jeremy Hunt and Ian Blackford getting on really well and agreeing with each other in PMQs the other day.
2: Yeah, I was actually going to bring up Jeremy Hunt. He was the one that I just couldn't believe that had changed everything they'd ever said before um, and actually, actually seemed like a human being for once.
0: Yeah, it doesn't undo his cuts, but it's good to see humility there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: So thank you, Sam, for chatting to us today. Uh, It's been really nice catching up and hearing your thoughts. And um, if you're listening to this, it'll come out after the Global Science Show. So if you want to catch up with that, look for the hashtag ScienceFromHome.
1: Thanks so much Mm -hmm. for coming on to chat to us. We really appreciate it.
2: No, thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thanks.
1: Bye-bye. so Kirsten how are you doing how are you coping with the lockdown
0: not too bad uh I have been a bit more stressed this week I think um I came back up to Aberdeen um to stay with my parents I didn't really have a flat in Glasgow um I was just staying with friends so I, I guess when we went into lockdown I had to decide to come back up the road um which was hard I've lived in Glasgow since 2011 and this was kind of me leaving Mm -hmm. for now. I I don't know where I'm going to be, you know, living after my PhD. And it felt really sad to just kind of disappear in the middle of the night like that.
1: Yeah, as a group, we were all talking about how suddenly people are kind of moving away and it was sooner than we thought and plans are kind of getting interrupted. I mean, at at this point, we probably would have all gone out for a big meal, um, but yeah. Circumstances mean we can't do that right now. We'll have to settle for a Zoom chat. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. And I was looking forward to, you know, submitting my thesis and then heading down to the beer bar. <laughs> uh in the Glasgow Glasgow Uni has their union beer bar where I used to drink all the time it's an undergrad never really go back now and I was like that would just be a really nice way to round things off and the odds of that are really slim
1: <laughs> yeah um, even the smaller things as well like the the Uni has um transferred over to online vibe um online thesis submission now so even mm-hmm. that moment when you've finally finished writing, you print it all off, you go get it bound, and then you go and hand it in. Now you just send it in an email. <laughs> um, yeah. And that satisfaction of you know handing in that big, hefty piece of work you've been working on for months um, won't feel quite so significant maybe.
0: Yeah, although to be fair, a few years ago I was on student council, and we were saying, why can't it be online? Like, Why are we printing these massive theses? You know, there's a lot of printing costs involved, and not all the departments were covering it. Maybe they said at the time it's not possible, but clearly it was. Um, and I think it's actually a good thing to come out of this.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of hoping this sticks. I mean, it, it is sad that I maybe won't get to hand in a final copy of it, but uh for the sake of the paper and um, everything else, so, yeah, if if they are able to keep this system rather than revert back to printing three copies of a, you know, one or two hundred page document out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, moving on from, you know, a bit of tradition to something new. Yeah, and
0: I might print my final copy and get a hard band and have my book to be proud of for the rest of my life.
1: <laughs> oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, I think everybody... <laughs> Um, I think anybody that has done a PhD would hope that they could say, oh, you know, here's my thesis rather than um, get the laptop out and open up a file <laughs> for someone yeah. to scroll through.
0: Although who's going to read it, really? <laughs> I'm bored <laughs> reading it.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, how
0: have you been going, Gabby?
1: Um, it's It's been up and down. I mean, um, I, I kind of mentioned last week that the, the way I live my life hasn't been that different. I mean, I was writing from home already, but writing has been difficult um, I think because things have scaled up so much and uh, you know the, the the feeling of suddenly not really being able to leave the house other than the, your one trip out a day um, it, it's difficult to think of anything else right now um, hmm. it, it, yeah I'm, I'm trying to introduce a bit more of a routine I mean I, I think when I had been writing before I hadn't been doing that because I think it wasn't as necessary uh I, w- I was more enjoying the freedom of kind of running my day how i wanted and you know writing when you felt you could and then you know if you kind of run out of steam you you know take a break and come back to it um but now because there's this uh stretching future of me just staying at home and writing and not being able to really go out anywhere um yeah having having a bit more of a routine i think is necessary like um, I've got a whiteboard next to my desk which I've been well first of all just writing what day it is because <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one that has been losing track of that um <laughs> so like yesterday I had today is Friday um <laughs> and then uh wrote out you know um what times I was going to be doing what thing including my uh you know trip out of the house um mm. I've been taking up couch to 5k again I've, I've only done that a couple of times so far but uh maybe not the best time to start it but you know I have somewhere quiet to run um and I, I yeah I'm, I'm really starting to appreciate the physical movement involved in running even though I find it difficult still um so I, I think making some changes like that has been helping um my my one exercise
0: yesterday was walking the dog but he's quite an old dog and has a sore paw so oh. you know it was like a 20 minute walk just around the block and I couldn't say it was good exercise for me but at least he got out
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I still really wish I had um either a dog or a cat at the minute to um keep me company <laughs> um, yeah my house I, is
0: like a zoo we've got two cats two dogs so um, oh, and my i my little sister
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really <laughs> envious of that yeah. No, my, my partner is one of the people still going to work, um, because of the the type of work he does. I think that they're largely running on a skeleton crew at the minute, but, um, for the most part, I think he's still going to be going in four days a week. Mm-hmm. So, um, at first I was kind of looking forward to the idea of us both working from home, but, uh, he can't work from home with the type of work he does. It's basically impossible. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's just, uh, just me at home. So, um, a dog would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot of people taking up uh, things that are a bit more creative as well while they've been home. Um, I guess either as you could, you know, a form of expression or just like, you know, something fun to do. Um have you done anything like that?
0: Yeah. Um so a few people around the village where we live have been like painting rocks and leaving them out for people to find. So oh, cute. me and my sister tried to do them yesterday, but my painting was awful. So I might have to get another rock. I don't know. <laughs> um and I also dyed my hair. Um just dip dyed because I didn't have the confidence to do the whole thing. <laughs> um I've just bleached the ends and then I'm gonna go over it with a colour. Um so we'll see how that
1: goes. Uh oh, what what kind of colour do you think you'll go for?
0: Well I have pink dye. Um Ooh,
1: so, exciting.
0: Although I quite like it just with the bleached ends, so I guess Tune in next week to find out if I've dived it.
1: <laughs> I mean, we won't be able to see, but I'm sure you'll tell us what you've done.
0: <laughs> um, and what about you? What have you been up to? Any creative outlets?
1: Um, well, so I... I took up sewing at the start of the year. Um, I I have always been really bad for hobby hopping. I'm one of those people that will be like oh I'm gonna start knitting which was one thing I tried or uh, you know I'm gonna start doing this thing or I'm gonna start painting again and then just never stuck with anything Um, and for whatever reason sewing I have actually managed to keep up doing every now and then um, the last few months. um, I, I got a sewing machine in December and Um, I don't know if it's just because it actually feels like more of a useful skill as well, rather than just a hobby. Um, But uh, I found there were a couple of videos that popped up on YouTube about how to sew face masks. And um, obviously, they're not going to be the same quality as getting a proper N95 mask or anything. Um, You know, they'll only provide a bit of protection. But... There have been a lot of people calling for people to make them um, for medical staff because of the shortages of PPE equipment. Mm. Um, I, I think just to try and tie things over a bit. So they've got something. Um, I don't have the fabric here to do anything like that. I mean, I wish if I, you know, if I had known about ahead of time before the fabric shops shut, maybe I could have gotten, gotten some, but uh, I did try my hand at making a couple anyway. Um, I thought it might be useful for if I have to go in a, you know busy supermarket and um you know maybe it will help at least to try and prevent me touching my face maybe if even if that's all it does that would be good mm-hmm. um and by making one I'm also not taking a mask from someone that needs one so you know I can feel a bit less guilty about it um mm-hmm. but it, yeah it, it went all right I was actually quite pleased with how it came out I did melt the elastic with the iron though so oh. <laughs> Um, i obviously still uh have a trick or two to to learn um but you know it was nice to sit and focus on that instead of um everything else that's been coming up on the news all the time
0: yeah healthy distraction (laughs) okay that's it for episode two of the chrono zone thank you for joining us Um, And please remember as well, for any health information, to check out the government and NHS websites and be wary of anything else. And do remember if you have any symptoms or if anyone else in your household has symptoms to be especially careful, but also all of us should be staying home. And do let us know if you've discovered any new hobbies or struggling with anything. Um, Let us know, it would be great to hear how you're all coping too.
1: Yeah, the response to last week's episode was really great. We're really pleased to see um, quite a few of you enjoying it so um, you know thanks so much for the positive feedback. Uh, yeah do get in touch if you have anything to say you can find us at the the Corona zone on Instagram, Corona Zone pod on Twitter um, and the at gmail.com um, if you want to contact us directly. Our intro and outro music is Countermove by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. This has been episode two of The Corona Zone. We'll speak to you next week. Thank you. Bye.